if you have the power to reimagine foster care and to make it whatever you wanted to, what would you change? Just the ability to have just unlimited money and resources to support whether a child is in home in foster care or transitioning back to, to their bio family, unlimited number of resources to kind of help them transition back home if that's the case. So it's Chatney Grice is saying that if she could wave her wine, she would be focused on reunification. And I support that 100%. All right, welcome to the Mosaic Foster Parents Cafe. Grab your coffee cup, your tea cup, and settle down for another episode. At the Mosaic Foster Parents Cafe, we know that one caring adult can really change life for a vulnerable child. That's why foster parents are one of the most critical components of the foster care system. Foster parents open their homes and their hearts and provide love and support to children who need it the most. They are the guides that every superhero needs in order to be great. That's why foster parents need better support and exceptional resources. For far too long, foster parents have been made to feel like extras in a movie, when in reality, they're more like the co-stars. Here at the Mosaic Foster Parents Cafe, this is where those guys come to meet and become better informed, better prepared, and more encouraged to continue to serve on the front lines of the child welfare system. I'm your host, Takeem Morgan. I spent eight years of my life navigating the foster care system, and that experience really inspired me to become a change maker for vulnerable children as well as an advocate for foster parents. Through this podcast, I hope to inspire the next generation of foster parents and foster children to be great. In fact, our mission here at Mosaic is to inspire and nurture the spirit of serving children and families, one foster parent, one episode, and one community at a time. I thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoy the show. We have a very special show for you today. Our topic is Foster Parent Training 1.0, and our special guest is one of our mosaic heroes of foster care. Now, an ordinary superhero possesses superhuman strength, and they use it for good. Everybody knows that. However, a mosaic hero of foster care uses their God-given human strengths to love and care for our nation's most vulnerable children and families, and they go above and beyond the call of duty. Our guest today is Miss Chatney Grice. She is a perfect example of a mosaic hero of foster care. She has dedicated the last 13 years of her life to serving children and families, doing everything from frontline case working to managing congregate care facilities, running community-based services, and today she leads a team responsible for training foster parents all across the state of Indiana. She is passionate and committed to ensuring that our children get the highest quality foster parents that we can find and train and on the show today she's going to help us understand what to expect if you are considering becoming a foster parent she's also going to answer some specific questions from individuals that may have children placed in their homes and are looking for some help with specific topics so without further ado i welcome you to the show welcome to the show chatney thank you thank you for having me so what we this is a cafe and so in perfect cafe style we like to start off the show with a cafe cup check 
you know, just to get an idea of what our guests are drinking. I am always I always have something in my cup. Um, you know, hopefully these days is something uh, more organic and more healthy than what it used to be. I, I used to have a little too much in my cup. I got to admit, you know, at the cafe, we just want to know what you're sipping on, what you like to sip on. If you walk into the cafe, what are you what are you usually ordering? And then what are you uh, sipping on today? So I love chai tea. So I am a huge chai tea latte at Starbucks. And you got to have a little a pump or two of vanilla for the extra flavoring, the sweetness. I like coffee. I'm not a huge like coffee drinker as far as the the caffeine. So I'm a huge tea drinker. <laughs> huge tea drinker. Fair yes. enough. And what and what are you sipping today? Are you sipping something today? I am only sipping water today. Water, cup check for the water. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) Let's give her a round of applause for the water. (laughs) We do need that water, that old good old H2O. All right, for my cup check. So what I am sipping today is I am a big tea drinker as well, so we do have that in common. I am sipping Choice Organic Teas Herbal Peppermint Tea. And uh, this is actually my last uh, bag. I am fresh out, but I really do like this was something I tried just being a little bit experimental. I think I got this out of Whole Foods and I wanted to try something different because I I drink a lot of peppermint tea. But this particular uh, brand, this choice brand was something new. But I got to admit, it is very, very tasty. So I highly recommend if you're looking for a new tea to try. You know, you can try it. says perfectly balanced tea. Who wouldn't like that, right? Yeah. But it's choice organic teas is uh, is what I'm sipping on. And so the next section is our icebreaker section. Um, and as I, as I share with you, uh, you are a part of our hero series because of the exceptional work that you've been doing 13 years in and out and working in all those aspects. I mean, you said five group homes that you've run and helped to manage. Uh, You're doing staff development now. You're working with the LCPAs and making sure that our new foster parents are trained up well. This is exceptional work. Um, This is behind the scenes work. A lot of times when the news stories hit the headlines, we don't know about people like you who are really making the system work and, and doing an excellent job doing it. And so that's why here at Mosaic, we wanted to really honor individuals like you from all across the child welfare department and really hold you up and uh, give you the flowers that you deserve. So uh, you are one of our heroes. So uh, thank you for the work that you're doing. And uh, we hope that we can continue to support you uh, in any way possible. Um, You're welcome. And so our hero question. So what is your favorite superhero or comic book character? So I must say that I'm not a huge superhero fan. I do not like comic books, so I can't say that I have one. I don't think I have a favorite. Um, I watch the movies and I like them, but I'm fair enough. You strike me as like a like a storm, like a Wonder Woman type. No, no, no storm, a Wonder Woman vibes. <laughs> uh, maybe a little bit maybe a little bit maybe a little bit you know i think uh storm she gets uh a lot of um attention for her hair right she has that like white hair <laughs> so her hair is always popping um okay how about this if you could be granted one superpower what superpower would you choose and why Oh, boy. So I am a driver and a planner. And so wouldn't it be great to be able to jump into the future and kind of know what's going to be ahead? You know, I think that the organization piece, the 
being able to to have that additional discipline of structuring things out in advance, far in advance than what I usually do, would be lovely. So that would be my <laughs> Wow, the powers of planning ahead. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. I think I would like that uh, superpower as well. I'm a planner myself. I got to admit, sometimes I I, I think I over plan. So I have to tell myself, hey, listen, plan a little, do a little, you know, plan a little, do a little. Uh, But no, I feel you on that. Okay. So what about the story behind how you got involved in child welfare? How, How did you get involved? So my bachelor's degree is in psychology. My master's is in professional counseling. And so I've just really always had a passion just to help others, especially specifically youth um, and even families. I think the rapport, the just in-depth time and attention that it takes to kind of build relationship with families and children to be able to, to understand them and to kind of learn what makes them tick, you know, learn their story and their experiences. Um, those are things that I very much enjoy. Um, and so as I, you, you kind of um, mentioned earlier, I, I did start Child Welfare in 2008 as a family case manager. And then I moved on to working for a community health, um, community mental health center. And that was for several years, probably almost seven, actually. And I held um, several different positions there. So it gave me an opportunity to still kind of be in the field, home-based, community-based, school-based. And so I got a plethora of, you know, different experiences and settings and still being able to service and get to know families and children. And I think I'm hoping in, you know, some way I impacted, you know, more than half of the ones that I've encountered. But I I just enjoy doing it. I think it's it's rewarding work. It's not easy work, but it's rewarding. And there are definitely really good outcomes on the results that come out of it, especially when you're passionate about it. Um, And so I'm, you know, back here since. 2019 and just doing something a little different, you know, with trainings and development, but I still am able to have interactions and still be able to impact the lives of families and children from behind the scene. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. I mean, the system really does need individuals like you. I mean, we always hear about the bad news stories, but, but we really don't get to see folks like yourself who are just like sold out on the work and just so committed one of the things that struck me when I was when I when we were working together is that, you know, you know how in the office you get that kind of playfulness. People are like laughing, joking around the uh, the water fountain and all that stuff. One of the things I did recognize about you and your team is that wasn't your team. Your team didn't have a reputation for hanging around the, the uh, water fountain and just, you know, joking and laughing and all that. You guys are like always about business. And that's one of the things that struck me about your team. I was like, man, they are no joke. They don't play no <laughs> games. I was like, they don't play no games. <laughs> we like to have fun. We do. But I mean, you're right. There's there's so much that goes into the work that we do. So I think the time that we're here to be able to use that to to just service our, our customers, our internal and external. I think that's kind of one of the most important. And so that we do share that common, just passion and motivation to do just that when we're here. Absolutely. So what's your favorite part of the job? Servicing families and children. I think I'm, I'm always, I'm a huge learner. And so I think I believe that there's always opportunities to learn and grow. And so not just families and children and 
them that I encounter, it's also, you know, the team. It's, you know, everybody else within departments of child welfare. I feel like I've learned so much from what different things that we can do, kind of thinking outside the box and brainstorming those things. I like the the ability to do research and figure out what's more out there that we can use to educate our families, our foster parents to like better equip them. And so there's always something new. I'm a person, I think that I wouldn't enjoy being able to come to work knowing that I'm doing the same thing every day. You know, there's those general duties and responsibilities that you're always going to do on a day-to-day basis. But um, as far as updating trainings and finding new curriculum and research, there's always things that you find that still allow you to be able to have that creativity um, and look at things new and differently. So that's one of the reasons why I enjoy it. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that motivates me with my work within the child welfare department is understanding that the community that I grew up in, I grew up in the inner city in North Philadelphia. The, the, my community had a lot of challenges, a lot of everyday struggles, neglect, you know, drugs, poverty, you know, generational uh, poverty, those sorts of things. So that struggle kind of kind of created a sense of urgency and a sense of commitment to serving my community when I was young and then as I as I got older. And one of the things I realized with my interaction within the child welfare department or the child welfare system is that that community, my community, communities like mine are disproportionately impacted by the child welfare system. That's removals, that's outcomes, those sorts of things. Why do you think it, that is the case? Um, from a professional standpoint, you got 13 years. Why do you think that our community um, is so uh, disproportionately impacted? I think that it could be a number of things. I, I've you know, seen sometimes it could be just the lack of education, just not knowing, um, just the lack of just not wanting to know and being able to to kind of do your research and observation and kind of see those things. And a lot of that too comes from, you know, I think people's past experiences and maybe kind of where they've come from and not understanding that there's definitely some differences. There's some, some things, some changes, and sometimes your environment, I think, can impact um, your willingness to kind of want to be able to see what are some things that are gone wrong or, you know, different. Right. Um, yeah. And I'm uh, maybe reading into your comments, but you're saying that the folks that are that are sent to interact with our community don't don't, don't quite understand our community. Or are you saying our community doesn't have the, the knowledge or the the understanding that we need in order to properly care for our children? I think it's a little I think it can be a little bit of both. I think that sometimes you don't you don't know what you don't know, mm-hmm. you know, type of things. And so sometimes you can go into things not prepared to, to I think, look at things and observe things in a different way, in a different light. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can definitely impact that piece, depending on who it is that is doing the work and who is, out, you know, set forth to kind of go out there and figure out kind of what's going on and what needs to change. Sure. Right. So I'm hearing you say that it's a combination of both, you know, our own kind of experiences and maybe, you know, generational kind of blockers, perhaps, as well as, you know, when you look at the system, you know, who makes up the system, sometimes those are individuals that don't necessarily understand our culture or even the blocks, right? They they could probably help us in different ways, but, you know, you know, we ended up maybe having a, a negative experience because they don't quite understand who we are. 
um, which obviously makes your involvement and your commitment even that much more important. So thank you again. So at this point of the show, we want to get into some of the technical aspects of becoming a foster parent. Um, we know that there are training requirements, there's pre-service and, and in-service requirements, and you have a, a long special acronym that you use to describe it, which, which I think I took forever to, to, to figure out when I was working for the department. But I want you to get into a little bit of that and share that with our audience. What are the training requirements to become a foster parent? So for what we would consider like traditional foster parents that aren't seeking a therapeutic license, they, there's 10 hours of pre-service training. And included in that pre-service training are our RAP trainings, which is resource and adoptive parent trainings. We have our RAP 1 training, which is kind of a DCS get to know. Our RAP 2 training, which we offer on one of our Canvas sites, which is kind of an online self-paced training that is specifically focused on abuse and neglect. And we also offer our RAP3 training, which um, focuses on discipline, attachment, and behaviors of youth. And so those are the three that they have pre-service-wise. In addition to that, there are other requirements for bloodborne pathogens and first aid CPR, which is included in adult and pediatric. Those are trainings, of course, every two years for CPR first aid and annually for our bloodborne pathogens. And how does this schedule, the training schedule work? Is it, is it, does it have to be completed in a certain amount of time? And are there any penalties or anything like that if you don't complete training in a certain amount of time? So for pre-service there, they of course have some type, I think, reasonable timeline, of course, that those things are done. The foster care team, of course, has worked hard to kind of streamline some of those processes and making some changes. So I'm not very sure of the specifics of all of that. Um, but as far as our scheduling goes on our side for wrapped, we develop the schedule and our coordinating team develops that schedule and it comes out at least 60 days in advance that it is included with our pre-service trainings. And it allows them also to have access to the other in-service trainings kind of down the line where they're able to see what trainings we have in advance on our public site. Um, that's available. Their assigned foster care specialist is the person that goes into our SharePoint system and registers them for a specific class based off of their availability. So it sounds like there is some aspect of the training, pre-service training that is face-to-face and there's some aspect that is virtual. Is, Is that right? Yes, so our Canvas trainings for specifically RAP2 pre-service has always been a training we've offered via Canvas, Um, and it allows them to be able to complete a self-paced. It has a lot of competency checkpoints and a lot of quizzes and interactive activities to gauge kind of their understanding and learning. Right now, we are doing all of our trainings virtual, which I think is, is has been beneficial to foster parents specifically seeking their license because That's our awesome. training offered statewide. That's awesome. That's phenomenal. So that, so how long has the virtual trainings been in, in play? Is that just been since COVID? Yes, yeah, since COVID. So last March, I'd last say. Last March. That's right. I, I was uh, I was there when it went down. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was quite amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like an overnight change. 
Overnight change. That's exactly it. Overnight. Um, so the other question I have is what topics are covered in the trainings? So they range from a lot of different things. I, I kind of outlined specifically was in our, our pre-service, but as far as in-service trainings on our training catalog, it's anywhere from trauma-informed care. So we have like a tick series. We have attachment, self-care, my family, your family. So kind of working with, with foster parents to kind of understanding the dynamics of, of families and kind of ways that they can better interact um, with bio parents that ultimately impacts the child. Fostering older youth, we have um, training specific to sexual abuse. We also have a car seat training. There's several other trainings. We mostly make sure that we include a lot of our practice model stuff, our trauma, things in there, just the safety and well-being tools. Nice. Okay. Can you talk to me about cultural competency? I I know when I was... uh, working for the department and I was interviewing, um, uh, you know, various foster parents and LCPAs, there is a, a lot of anxiety around, am I going to get a child placed with me that's of a different culture, a different background? Uh, and is that going to be good for the child? Is that going to be good for me? Is it going to be awkward? What are the tools and how do you manage that aspect of becoming a foster parent? How do you an- manage the the cultural dynamics that may be worrying some foster parents? Yeah, so we specifically have a cultural competence training series, and that consists of four trainings, and they all cover things that are related to cultural things. And so our first one, of course, is race, poverty, and ethnicity. Uh, and so we cover a lot of, a lot of you know, that in there. And language of power. And that just specifically kind of looks at the language of power and kind of how the laws are created just within society. We have a substance use disorder training, and that really specifically looks at some of our youth that come from homes that there is a history of substance use, Mm -hmm. Um, kind of have empathy, understand some of their traumas that are related to their adverse experiences, and how to navigate through that with the child in care. And then just some of the effects, how it can affect a child, how it can affect, you know, the bio parent and their safety and well-being. We also have supporting LGBTQ youth, and that specifically is a guide that creates safe and affirming atmosphere for youth. And that is specifically for youth that identify as LGBTQ. That's so important. Um, yes. That's so important. So, and that's, and that, those are in-service. It sounds like a lot of that you're talking about is in-service training. Is that, is that also covered in pre-service, pre-service training? So it's not covered in pre-service training. I think kind of looking at some of the requirements that we, we have just on foster parents, kind of getting them in there, the pre-service, there's a lot of, I think, additional time that it would take for the licensing piece. So immediately following that, they're able to to delve training. And what is the annual licensing process like? How often is there a requirement around annual licensure? Is that something that's ongoing within the within the a time of the tw- the twelve months of the license, or is it at a certain point, maybe just at the twelve month mark, there is a, a set of requirements? How does that work? 
Yeah, so so foster parents at the time, like the date that they actually become licensed from that time to the, the very following um, year, that same date, they have the opportunity to obtain their licensing hours for annual to meet their annual requirements, and that is 15 hours. They have the opportunity to use our actual um, training schedule and the trainings we offer. They also have the opportunity to use other trainings that are alternative outside that are related to their role as foster parents um, and that increases their skills um, set and learning um, and just improving parenting um, in their home. Awesome. And I know that the alternative training content or um, requirement is it's, it's something that gets a lot of attention from our foster parents. I know that I noticed that when I, when I was there, you share with me the alternative training hours content list. And it was quite extensive, uh, several tabs and, and lots of lots of uh, really good content in there. Um, how often do foster parents utilize, you know, the, the department's content versus alternative content? Do you have an idea of how popular the, the alternative content is versus the department's content? Well, I, I, it's very popular. I, I actually manage the inbox where we get, you know, requests for approvals to add things to the alternative training list. Um, I, I'm not sure how often they use some of the trainings that are already existing um, yeah. on the alternative training list, but they, they always offer some really good resources um, and alternative trainings that they found that are, um, you know, just important and specific to some of the youth they have in their home. Fair enough. I got a question for you. So, so that list is long. It's it's extensive in its Excel sheet, right? So it's like it's a lot to look through. If if we have new foster parents in Indiana or, or you know anywhere across the country that wanted to take, say the, the the most beneficial training from that alternative list, do you have a recommendation of say the top? three or four pieces of content that you would recommend that they uh, take a look at before they try to uh, swim through the entire Excel list, something that could save them some time and maybe some heartache. Yeah. So I, I have kind of skimmed through some of the trainings that uh, are some of the books that I kind of enjoyed from reading some of the summaries and um, the requests and Catherine Purvis is a, a really good author and she's of course developed a lot of other online trainings and some of her trainings the connected child the connected parent so real life strategies for building trust and attachment Um, and that's by her and lisa qualls and we've got some really good books by dr charlie appelstein who was one of our keynote speakers um, for one year of our conference that are really good that really speaks to kind of managing behaviors how to parent how to to communicate and navigate through those things. So those are ones that are significant that stand out to me. Um, But I know there's others. Awesome. Awesome. During this section of our show, we are going to um, bring out some questions that have been raised in the virtual world in some of the chat rooms and, and Facebook groups that I'm a part of. I'm part of several Facebook groups, um, Facebook as well as Reddit, 
and I pulled some questions that I've seen on those groups that, that get a lot of attention and that people really uh, seem to be want some answers to. All right. So the first question I have is around trauma-informed training and the public school system. The question is, should trauma-informed training be part of teacher training for public schools? And this question came with a story where a foster parent, a new foster parent with a new placement, they had a report back from school about their child basically not behaving, not cooperating. And the foster parent tried to explain to the teacher, hey, you know, they're in a new placement. I'm a new foster parent. They had to get moved around. And, you know, so for a few days, they may not be, you know, the best behave and they may not be like, you know, your star student. And the teacher seemed to be dismissive about that and was just kind of like, hey, listen, I need them to get their act together. They're in my classroom. They can kind of be in the tough love type type thing. Um, and, you know, the tough love obviously can be very effective in certain scenarios, but we know through t- trauma-informed training that it is not necessarily effective with certain tra- trauma-related uh, situations and experiences. And so, so the question to you, Chatney, is should trauma-informed training be part of the teacher training for public schools? Absolutely. So I think in my, my experience with working in a school, and I was a behavior specialist um, years ago and worked in therapy when I was at a community mental health center, that I think I've, w- I've been able to witness kind of firsthand some of the struggles that some of our teachers have with their res- like responding and really, I think that genuinely, genuine support and wanting to gain an understanding of kind of what's going on with the child, learning their stories and experiences, how they have those conversations with the parents to figure out what has worked at home. And so they can try to figure out how those things can translate over into the school. I think it would be very effective if they were able to learn some of those things that would help with their communication and really ultimately helping the child learn and meeting them kind of where they are. Absolutely. So my next question is, what are your recommendations for alternative training on fostering older youth? So, of course, our in-service training, we have a training called Fostering Older Youth, of course. That's a six-hour training, and it's specific to kids that are 13 or older. But we do have some specific other trainings on the alternative training schedule, and there's a website. It's called Foster Club, and it's www.fosterclub.com. And it specifically does focus on older youth. It also provides foster parents with tools. So there's some online trainings that they can take. There are also blogs and other recordings of just the real life experiences of what an older youth has experienced in their time in foster care. And so I think that those are really important alternative trainings because it allows them to to kind of delve into by by hearing from another um, youth and hopefully being able to be more empathetic and, you know, trying to find other ways to help our older youth for adulthood and kind of ready for the outside world. Foster, they have had a lot of requests, um, interestingly, from some of our contracted agencies that facilitate our support groups, and they've had some really good 
resources and trainings that generate some really good, meaningful discussions about what it takes to foster older youth, meeting them kind of where they are, what are some outside resources, how do they really try to engage and try to understand what the child kind of needs to get ready for adulthood. And so I really think that having those conversations with other foster parents that also have had years of experience with fostering older youth, that definitely is really good for adult learners. It also helps them network and be able to kind of bounce some of their own ideas or struggles that they may have with fostering older youth just to kind of help them learn. Google is everybody's best friend. I always say that. <laughs> you can always go and search keywords of things of fostering older youth. I know that in my time in researching things for our curriculum, I have found a lot of really good resources um, that are helpful. So any articles, anything, they're always helpful. Google is definitely my best friend. I love <laughs> Google. <laughs> so thank you so much for that. So fostering older youth, fostering teens is uh, such an important topic and I entered the system when I was 10 years old. And so I, I lived out my entire teenage years as a ward of the state and as a, as a foster child. Uh, and so I do have vivid memories of, you know, an initial conversation with uh, some caseworkers that was like, hey, people don't normally like to take people like you. You know, they don't like to take uh, people your age and, you know. And I remember how that felt, and and that did not feel good. It was very off-putting, and I was very confused by it because I was like, I don't get it. (laughs) This is a place for kids. I'm clearly a kid, you know, and so I I am definitely uh, the the mission to help uh, the understanding around the needs of older youth is definitely one that I'm, I'm very committed to, and I'll be working on that for a long time. In fact, one of our other heroes of foster care is specifically... Uh, focused on fostering teens. Foster the teens is the hashtag. I mean, we are going to have an individual that's really focused on that on the show. Uh, so uh, stay tuned for that. I do have another question here. What are the available trainings for foster parents working to support victims of sexual abuse or maladaptive youth? That topic on the chat got a lot of attention and so folks are really looking for some resources and just you know, curious about what types of support they have with youth that are, that are uh, either uh, victims or struggling in that area. Yeah, so we've always had a sexual abuse training on our um, training catalog as an in-service training. It was a three-hour training, but we have recently, um, within this last quarter, have made updates to it. And so it is now two 90-minute trainings. I think there is a lot that comes with the topic of sexual abuse. Um, We definitely have to, you know, kind of think about the sensitivity of maybe some of our foster parents' experiences as well and giving them an opportunity to process all of that content. And so that's our reason for splitting that in 90 minutes. And a lot of that does focus on some of like the societal conceptions of child sexual abuse, typical sexual development in children, and defining kind of the roles and disclosure helps. We talk about safety planning and just how things are, how they're impacted by specific abuse. So we have those two trainings. We're actually going to develop a, a, like a sexual abuse training series, and that will also include our sexually maladaptive youth training that we are finalizing in addition to human trafficking. And so we definitely see the need, the value in kind of having some of these trainings. And so we are actively developing those things now in our last two quarters of the year. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for that information. It sounds like you guys are, this is, this is a continuous improvement space where you're always getting feedback and kind of making those adjustments. So that's awesome. That's good to know. It's very reassuring. Are there trainings or strategies for dealing with specific behaviors that result from trauma beyond the general trauma informed parenting training? Like for example, a child that has a mood regulation disorder, uh, you know, this is also from the from the Facebook group. You know, is there a training that goes through the studies and the research and that shows like the strategies and how they can be most successful? Yeah, so there are um, specifically TBRI, it's trust-based relational intervention. It's a therapeutic model that has drawn a lot of attention here over the last year. In fact, it's one that we added to the list to count as a face-to-face training because of how extensive it was. It's an eight-hour training. It's, you know, interactive. It really delves into the principles of TBRI, and it's a training that was developed by Catherine Purvis, and it really provides, trains caregivers of kind of how to effectively support and treat at-risk youth. Um, It definitely, it works with just the caregiver and the child as well so that they can kind of learn healthy ways to engage and communicate with each other. It's been used in schools, it's been used in homes, residential facilities, group homes, you know, you name it. So it's been used in, in several different um, treatment facilities or in settings, and it's, it's seemed to be pretty successful. There's recently, and one of our other licensed placing agencies just kind of adopted this as a pilot program for their therapeutic foster parents, and that's the family teaching model. Um, okay. and that's also another... Yeah, model that's being used. It, it's kind of, it has some similarities to TBRI. It does talk about trauma, but it really gives that in-depth ways to like some strategies and tools like in the home that your um, case manager or therapist can really work with the family on. That, so That's yeah. awesome. Well, thank you so much. That, that concludes our education section. And I believe that was jam-packed. So thank you so much, Chatney, for providing us with such uh, rich information and really specific uh, content that we can turn to. That's so important. So thank you so much for that. No problem. Now is the moment that we've been waiting for where we get to get into our uh, five-year-old bag. You know, we get to we get to become kids again. Uh, This is the imagination section. So I've been, uh, you know, um, um, sharing my story around the opportunity that I feel like I have to reimagine foster care, right? Foster care is always changing as you uh, share with us today, how you guys are always looking at feedback from foster parents and feedback from the community and deciding what's next, what's more, what more can we do? And so I feel like now is, is the time for me to go on that same journey and reimagine foster care. And so I'm including a section called reimagine foster care in each one of my interviews And it's really just about taking away all the barriers, losing any type of negative energy, negative thoughts, negative ideas, and only thinking in the positive realm, right? And saying, if you had the power to reimagine foster care and to make it whatever you wanted to, if you had a magic wand and you could change one specific thing, 
that would improve the lives of vulnerable children who who touch the foster care system how would you use that power what would you change so i and i we've talked about this before i think in a, a few of our other lean events that we've had but just the ability to have just unlimited money and resources to support whether a child is in home in foster care or transitioning back to to their bio family, unlimited number of resources to kind of help them transition back home if that's the case. And if not, of course, all cases we know don't, don't turn out to be that way. Being able to still utilize those resources and the foster parent, bio parents are working together and having the opportunity to figure out what resources they need to get a child, you know, kind of back in home, um, a family back to, you know, where they should be, where they're still being able to nurture the child and support each other. I think a lot of our foster parents do come with a wealth of knowledge. Um, and even our bio parents and being able to have them come together with those things and not having a, I think, a cookie cutter list of things you can and can't do and allowing them to be able to utilize those things um, and work together for the benefit of the kid. That's definitely what I'd love to see. That is fantastic. So on record, Chatney, Miss Chatney Grice is saying that if she could wave her wine, she would be focused on reunification. She would be focused on bringing bio parents and foster parents together. And she'd be focused on ensuring that the system and all that are involved are focused on the needs and the outcomes of the child. And I support that 100%. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Chatney. Uh, this was a very, very good conversation, a wonderful conversation. I thank you for the work that you're doing. And if there's anything I can do or anything that the show can do to be helpful to you, please let me know. And don't be a stranger. Come back to the cafe. You know, we always got some nice drinks. We always got some good music. And there's always a great conversation here at the Mosaic Foster Parents Cafe. Thank you so much for joining the show. Yes, thank you so much for having me. think a cookie cutter list of things you can and can't do and allowing them to be able to utilize those things um, and work together for the benefit of the kid. That's definitely what I'd love to see. That is fantastic. So on record, Chatney, Miss Chatney Grice is saying that if she could wave her wine, she would be focused on reunification. She would be focused on bringing bio parents and foster parents together and she'd be focused on ensuring that the system and all that are involved are focused on the needs and the outcomes of the child. And I support that 100%. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Chatney. Uh, this was a very, very good conversation, a wonderful conversation. I thank you for the work that you're doing. And if there's anything I can do or anything that the show can do to be helpful to you, please let me know. And don't be a stranger. Come back to the cafe. You know, we always got some nice drinks. We always got some good music. And there's always a great conversation here at the Mosaic Foster Parents Cafe. Thank you so much for joining the show. Yes, thank you so much for having me.